Our message this morning is going to be coming from Isaiah 43, but before we read that text, let me ask you, when you get up in the morning, do you expect your day to be pretty much like all of the days that have gone before it? Or do you start each day expecting God to teach you something new or give you a new assignment or open a new door for you? What do you expect from God for your life and for the life of your church? Let's look this morning at some ancient words from God in the prophecy of Isaiah that encourage us to put the past behind us, look for what God is doing now, and have faith to expect something new and something wonderful from His hand. Isaiah chapter 43, we're going to look at verses 16 to 21 this morning, and if you're able, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. The Bible says, beginning in verse 16, This is what the Lord says, He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Thank you. Please take your seats. Now the prophet tells us, this is what the Lord says. And he uses God's covenant name, Yahweh. This is what your God and mine says. Isaiah speaks not on his own behalf, but on behalf of God himself. Isaiah is saying, these words are not mine. I am just the conduit, the mouthpiece. These are words that come from God himself. And what does God say? Well, He has already told them back in verse 1 of this chapter, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. And He repeats something very similar in verse 5 when He says, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Now, we expect words like that from God. That sounds characteristic of God in our ears. Whether we have the courage and faith to obey them or not, and not be afraid, it sounds like God to us. But down in our text, in verse 18, God says, Forget the former things, and do not dwell on the past. Now, isn't that odd? The prophet has just reminded Israel of who is speaking by recounting a mighty act of God from the Exodus, from their past, the crossing of the Red Sea. 
When God saved the people in verses 16 and 17, Isaiah recounts that. And now in verse 18, God says, forget the former things and don't dwell on the past. What? Could God have been telling the Israelites not to dwell on the negative experiences in their past? Their pain, their failures, disappointments, the times they'd blown it, the times they'd been unfaithful and gotten themselves into trouble? Is that what God is telling them to forget? Because the memories of such things can be powerful and they can be paralyzing, crippling, and prevent us from enjoying the freedom that God created us to enjoy. I don't know if it's true or not, but I've read that animal trainers used to shackle young elephants to heavy chains driven uh, or tied to stakes that were driven deep into the earth. And uh, over time, those elephants would be conditioned to stay in their place. Even after they grew big enough that they could have easily pulled out the stake and walked away, they've been conditioned to stay put. Even when the stake is removed, that just a small metal bracelet around the elephant's foot attached to nothing could keep the elephant in place. A prisoner of its past, so to speak. Well, we certainly should learn to let go of the negative experiences of our past. Let God forgive the sins we've committed, heal the abuse that we've suffered, and live in the freedom that we have in Christ. God certainly desires that of us. God doesn't want us to be enslaved by the wrongs of our past, whether we committed them or whether someone else committed them against us. But verses 16 and 17, as we said, relate a positive experience from Israel's past. When God demonstrated His power and His love and care and concern for His people, when He protected them from the pursuing Egyptians, a wonderful, positive memory in their history. So is God telling them then to forget the positive things of their past? Certainly not. Remembering God's power and past blessings serves an indispensable purpose in the lives of God's people, even in this text. You know, Isaiah reminded them of whose words He was about to deliver to them, and what a wonderful, caring, magnificent, sovereign God He is, so that they would listen, so that they would pay attention. It served that purpose here. It serves a purpose in our lives as we remember God's faithfulness in the past so that we can trust in God's faithfulness in the future. I think the second part of verse 18, especially as the NIV translates it, is what helps us understand God's point. It says there, do not dwell on the past. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Because a, a person or a people or a church can be as paralyzed by nostalgia as they can be by regret. Israel was stuck in the past. They were longing for the good old days, living off the laurels of God's former blessings, staring backward instead of living in the moment and looking forward. 
like an aging athlete long past his prime who lives for nothing but to talk about the, the glory days, the good old days. And so God says, don't dwell on the past. Even now, I'm doing a new thing. Can't you see it? Can't you perceive it? Verses 18 and 19. The very same Almighty God who made a dry path through the seas is making a wet path through the desert, a stream in the wilderness. The God who can, can make dry, uh, wet places dry can make dry places wet. This God can do anything. This God is constantly doing those kinds of things. Even now, he says, I'm doing a new thing. But they were too stuck in the past to notice. Israel may have been in the wasteland, so to speak, but God was still providing for them. He was still meeting their needs. He was still trying to lead them forward. And he says they ought to recognize it and join the wild animals in proclaiming his praise. We can remember the past without living in the past. That inventor of new things, Alexander Graham Bell, reportedly said, when one door closes, another opens. But we often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door that we do not see the one which has opened for us. Because we're too fixated on what has happened, what, what doors have closed, what has been lost, to look at what God is bringing. In his commentary on Isaiah in this passage, Barry Webb writes, the past can become an idealized world, the good old days, into which we retreat when the future becomes too frightening to face. Or, he says, it can be a springboard from which we launch ourselves into the future with new strength. It can become a, a prison of focus on the past, it can hold us back and tie us down, or it can serve as a springboard to launch us into a, a bright new future with a renewed vigor and a renewed strength. And I'm convinced that this is a very powerful message for our church today. Central Baptist Church, Johnson City, Tennessee. Our church, if you've noticed, has experienced more change in the last four or five years than at any time in the past 25 years. Think about it. We've had four pastor transitions. Two have gone to other jobs, one to another church, and one to another role here at Central Baptist Church. That's Gene Elliott. He's had every job in the church but mine, and he's too smart to want it. I tease him and say that it's been 33 years, we're still looking for something you're good at, Gene. <laughs> Bless his heart. <laughs> We've had two pastor retirements so far, and several of the others of us are aging quickly. We've had six pastor search committees in that time, not counting the one that found me. Six pastor search committees. Three new pastors have come on board in that time. We've had two changes in our gathering worship leadership. And we've had dozens of beloved and committed 
church members who have passed away, who have gone on to glory. And then there was everything we had to deal with during that global pandemic when every decision we made, every action we took upset somebody one way or the other. It was a no-win situation and it was constant change, you remember. And now there's a new survey out from the Pew Research Center that says that one-fourth of Americans are now watching worship remotely online. Now that is a lot of change to have to absorb in a short amount of time. Mark Twain was right when he said the only person who likes change is a wet baby. (laughs) But no matter how much we may dislike it, change is inevitable, it is unavoidable, because the world keeps changing around us. We may try to stay put, but the world is going to change anyway. In fact, I'm convinced that the change our world is experiencing is accelerating. Not that long ago, you couldn't walk for a city block in New York City without finding a pay telephone. In the early 2000s, just 20 years ago, there were 30,000 public pay telephones registered in New York City. But in May of last year, a curious crowd gathered as a power saw cut through the base of a pay phone on the corner of 7th Avenue and 50th Street because that was the final New York City public pay telephone from 30,000 to zero in 20 years. And that's just one small example of how the world is changing around us. And when we find ourselves surrounded by instability and change, it can frighten us into wanting to retreat. It can be tempting to dwell on the past when things seem simpler and more predictable. Nostalgia for the past can replace excitement and expectation for the future. Our church has a long and storied history of many wonderful works of God. You can see them in the history hallway back uh, behind me. A lot of wonderful things God has done. And the nature of nostalgia is to magnify those things and to tend to forget about the hard times, the challenges, the difficult days, like the time this building burned and everything in here was destroyed. Or that time a hundred years ago when the church split because they were of different mind. And it took years for them to repair that breach. And to their credit, they came back together. Because of the nostalgia, the past can start to look brighter than the future in our minds. But what if our forebears had stopped dreaming in the face of those troubles? If they had stopped expecting a new thing from God, what if they had done that? Where would you and I be? Of course, we all know that Central, like so many other congregations, I would say most congregations in our country, Central is an aging congregation. We just have to look at one another to know that's true. But that can lead us to believe that the future belongs to someone else. 
not to us. We are too old to change our ways. We're too old to learn new things. You can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? You've heard that all your life, haven't you? Well, that saying's been around a long time. As a matter of fact, they say it originated in 1523 when an English animal trainer named John Fitzherbert said, The dog must be trained when he is a whelp, or else it will not be trained, for it is hard to make an old dog find a new scent. And we've turned that into, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. But guess what? The Discovery Channel show, Mythbusters, put that to the test. <laughs> and they were able to teach two older dogs named Bobo and Cece, Alaskan Malamutes known for their stubbornness, and therefore obviously Baptist. Those two older dogs were taught to heal, sit, lie down, stay, and shake on command. So the myth was busted. It turns out you can teach an old Baptist, I mean an old dog, new tricks. <laughs> if we're willing to learn. Are you longing for the past, living in the past, or are you expecting by faith? a new thing from God in your life and in our church. God says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. I'm doing a new thing. It springs up even now. Don't you perceive it? I want to share with you some words from a preaching professor named Benjamin Reeves, whose sermon on this text has been a very helpful resource for me in my sermon on this text. He says, This passage will not let you settle for being a prisoner of a negative past, nor will it let you settle for being a prisoner of a positive past. The truth is, this passage is calling us to a faith that will not be limited by the past. It's calling us to live expectantly. God is calling us from memory to expectancy. For the point is not to forget the past blessings. The point is that God's blessings are new. God's new thing will so transcend the past, the Exodus, the Red Sea, that God is saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. He's calling us from memory to expectancy and forget the former things can be seen for what it is. So that I don't forget the past, but in the power of Almighty God, I look to a future that will transcend the past. And more than that, he says, I expect it. Do we expect it? Do you expect it? Dr. Reeves tells a, a story about a little boy whose mother had died, and so his single father was trying to be both mommy and daddy to the boy, and so he planned a picnic. The little boy had never been on a picnic. So they made their plans, they prepared the, the lunch, they packed the car, and then it was time to go to bed because the picnic was the next day. Well, uh, not long after they'd gone to bed, the little boy was up and down the hall into his father's bedroom and shook him awake. And the father, in his, in his sleepy eye, said, what, what are you doing up? What's the matter? And the boy said, I can't sleep, Daddy. I'm, I'm excited about tomorrow. And the father replied, well, son, I'm sure you are. 
it's going to be a great day. But it's not going to be a great day if we don't get some sleep. So why don't you just go down the hall, get back in bed, and get a good night's rest? So the little boy trudged back down the hall, climbed in bed. Pretty soon sleep came to Dad, but not the boy. And before long, he was back down the hall in Dad's bedroom, shaking him awake again. And, and Dad came that close to saying something harsh to the boy until he saw the, the look on his face. And he said, son, what's the matter now? And the boy said, Daddy, I just want to thank you for tomorrow. I just want to thank you for tomorrow. Let's live expecting God to do a new thing in our lives, in our church, in our world, so that we can proclaim His praise for the things He is doing, not just for the things He has done. And let's have enough faith to say, Father, we just want to thank You for tomorrow. Pray with me. Father, we do thank you for tomorrow, for what you have in store for us, for the new things that you bring into our lives. God, we're grateful for all that you've done in the past. We thank you for that as well, but we want to look ahead. We want to see the things that you still have in store, things that will transcend and surpass what you've done in the past. We will proclaim your praise for it, God. Forgive us for trying to live in the past too often. Lord, so many of us in this room have fewer tomorrows in front of us than we have yesterdays behind us. But God, I pray we won't be tempted to give up, to throw in the towel. I pray that we might continue to be faithful day by day, step by step, expecting new and wonderful things from you. God, uh, one of our missionary forefathers exhorted us to attempt great things for you and to expect great things from you. So God, I pray that we would step into the future expecting those things, that change would not frighten us nor cause us to return to former glories, but that we might look ahead to what you have yet to do for us. We pray all of this in the name of Christ Jesus, our risen Lord and Savior, the one who makes all things new. Amen.